Welcome to Ms. Interpreted, her podcast of public relations and strategic communications demystified by Kelly Fletcher and Fletcher Marketing PR. Right, and so that highway of hope metaphor is something that I'm starting to see in my clients. There does seem to be this acknowledgement now that we aren't going back, right? That there really is no going back to whatever normal was before. We really are going forward and we don't have any choice but to go forward. And so there is hopefulness in that, in the ability to forge new ways to work. Welcome listeners to the Misinterpreted Podcast. I'm Kelly Fletcher, CEO of Fletcher Marketing PR. And for all of our listeners out there who are working women or who manage workforces in general during this pandemic transition period, we have a compelling chat coming up today. And to help introduce our guests, we're joined by my colleague, Fletcher Senior Strategist, Mary Beth West. Mary Beth, welcome back to the podcast. You've been off for a a few episodes here and there, raising your girls and doing spring break. And I'm so happy to have you back. Yes, I know. I've been uh, absent without leave, I guess, here the past couple of sessions. So I'm really happy to be on this conversation today. And hello, listeners. I have really been anticipating today's conversation with our guest, who is an expert in coaching executives for success. We wanted to have her on the show because we're all faced, I think, at this point with the challenges of how work and workforces, as Kelly mentioned, are changing both mid and post pandemic. And I think most of us also have seen how data show that women's participation in the workforce has changed to an overwhelming degree this this past year. Yes, absolutely. It's shocking how many women have dropped out of the workforce out of necessity for right. a large part. So this conversation is very well-timed as we start to hopefully come out of this pandemic. Obviously, Fletcher Marketing PR maintains a focus on marketing to women. So understanding women's workplace experience is a huge core part of what we do. It's part of our culture. It's part of our passion to empower women and to empower female consumers or women in general to, to make the right decisions. And as PR strategists, the PR industry as a whole needs to understand the dynamics of how our workforce has changed and it will continue to change for both women and men. And I think that all of us in PR, we've got to be able to advise our clients and employers on how this impacts the future of their brands. Right. What credible messages need to be, how to continue to build internal stakeholder relationships effectively. You know, in, in PR, we don't always a lot of it is internal communication and a it lot is. of the yeah. consulting that we do is internal communication. And so now more than ever, things are just really different and everybody's kind of struggling to find new ways um, to continue to have a great culture and to communicate when you don't see each other face to face all the time. So understanding all of that workforce piece is essential. It is. It is. And I've always been struck by how often when going to meet a new client, for example, so often, much to the client's surprise, uh, we start talking about internal communications first because, you know, we're talking about organizational success and that really has to start with their internal team first. So so really, that is the jumping off part and it really makes today's conversation all the more relevant. So with that, our guest today is Leslie Beal of Profusion Strategies in Knoxville, Tennessee, where she advises companies and organizations 
on internal development and workforce needs. And it's just one aspect of her work. Leslie helps clients build awareness of how they are perceived in the workplace. And she helps build strategies to address those weaknesses that they're confronting um, or the challenges they're confronting and, and to highlight their strengths instead. Yes, welcome to the podcast, Leslie. Thank you for having me. In full disclosure, Leslie became a friend of mine quite by accident. I think, was it my accountant who introduced us? I believe it was. Yes, it was my accountant, Robert Brown. I love Robert Brown. I I say all the time, I I could not live my life or run a business without Robert Brown, CPA. And so he called me up one day and he goes, I've got this woman I think you should meet. And she's starting this, she's starting a coaching business. And you remind me a lot of each other. And would you have coffee with her? And I was like, absolutely. And then just fell in love with Leslie. So also Leslie has coached me. She primarily works with coaching executive women. And um, one of her big focus areas or areas of focus is helping you to create and maintain a mindset of success, which is something that I never really thought was a thing until I started working with Leslie. And I realized how self-sabotaging I could be sometimes. And so She has a very purpose-driven process for how she helps executive women try to stay in that place of confidence and purpose and uh, success mindset. And so, Leslie, again, welcome to Misinterpreted. Thank you. Thank you, Kelly and Mary Beth, for having me this morning. It's good to talk to both of you. Oh, and I should also say, I should also mention that you led our strategic planning a few years ago up at Dancing Bear Lodge, and you did a great job. And so, Tell everybody a little bit about your career because you you kind of have had an interesting career trajectory that brought you to how you started this business, which really I feel like is fills your soul and is your passion. Yeah, it has been an interesting path and, and one I'm extremely thankful for in hindsight. Um, but I always tell people I'm a recovering lawyer. Right? <laughs> Are so, you still reco- <laughs> have you recovered yet? Or are you still not, working on it? Not totally. I'm not <laughs> quite sure how to measure full recovery from practicing law. Um, but it's <laughs> been, PTSD. That's right. It's been six years now since I've actively practiced law, but I was an attorney for 15 years and I primarily worked in in-house positions. So I think that's kind of an odd path. And people sometimes will ask me, how did you get from practicing law to coaching and developing executives and leadership teams? And one of the things that I tell people is, you know, I was lucky enough to land at a great company. I started my career at Ruby Tuesday and I got a lot of exposure to HR strategy, to training and development, to team development. And I also got the chance to be a leader myself, to develop a team, to build a team, to really coach other people around me to reach their full potential, which was something that I always really enjoyed. So I I worked there. I I practiced law um, in several firms here locally. And then my my last leadership position as an attorney was as the chief compliance officer and general counsel for a startup firm here in town. So I've had a lot of exposure to building teams. I've had a lot lot of exposure to being an executive. And I think that's one of my sort of secret superpowers as a coach is that for so many of my clients, I've been in those stressful situations that they're in. I've been in companies that were faced with difficult conditions. I've been in conversations that felt tense and terse. And so I know where my clients are. I know how it feels to struggle through those. And and I've been on the other side of that. I've been in situations where things went well. But about six years ago, for a lot of personal and professional reasons, 
I just started to feel this tug that law wasn't for me long term, that it was time for me to to do something else to fulfill my soul, to your point, Kelly, um, in a new and different way. And when I sort of looked back on my career at the things that had energized me, at the things that felt most fulfilling to me, it really was developing people, helping people move the things that were getting in their way out of the way so that they could be the professionals that they wanted to be. And so in a lot of ways, what I do today as a coach builds so much on that history that I have as an attorney. I, you know, I spend my day asking questions just like I did before. I spend my day carefully listening to the answers just like I did before. But I'm thankful that I get to spend every day really having an impact on people's lives, hopefully in a positive way. And I'm always grateful when people feel like they can share those sticky spots in their career, in their lives with me, and and sort of give me that behind the scenes glimpse into what's really going on with them. It's something that I'm always, always grateful for. Yeah. I think that takes so much courage to make a big career change like that. Absolutely. And so yeah, you have my admiration on that for sure. And Leslie, it seems one thing that Kelly and I have may have in common with you is this degree to which your work is just utterly fascinating and ours is to this whole process we all experience of working with clients to peel back these layers of what drives relationships, authenticity, trust, those things. I mean, to us, there is nothing more rewarding than than helping a client, particularly those who are very earnest in their desire to build authentic and ethics-driven relationships with their stakeholders. That sounds very much like what you try to tap into is getting into that authenticity and helping build that connection. You know, amid the long game with the pandemic, you often speak with your clients about the future of remote work and its impact on team trust and cohesiveness, things like that. Tell us about what you've observed this past year, given the challenges your own clients are confronting. I'd love to hear kind of what you're seeing on that front line. Yeah, well, I'm sure I don't have to tell either one of you that for employers and for leaders, this has been a roller coaster of a year, just like it has been for all of us personally. When I sort of think about the phases of the pandemic, I I go back to those very early days in late March, early April of 2020. And what I saw with my clients initially, um, I remember, I think it was the last week in March, and I had sort of a normal client load of meetings and calls, and every single leader, man or woman, that I spoke to was in tears or on the verge of tears. And it was, it was not sadness. It was not grief necessarily. I think it was shock and exhaustion, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. We can relate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and it surprised me and maybe it shouldn't have. Looking back, it probably shouldn't have surprised me quite so much. But I was really taken aback with the magnitude of this shock to our employment systems and the way that we work. But I think there was also at that point in time, this really real sense that this was going to be temporary, right? That we were going to come out of this and go back in some real way to where we had been before. And so what I saw early on, and and you guys both both were in the workforce at this period of time, but what I saw felt like the response that I saw to 9-11, right? It was this immediate kind of pulling together. We can get this done. We've got this hurdle. We're going to get over this. We can meet this challenge. It was jarring and exhausting and difficult, but also people responded to it in this very can-do 
adrenaline driven, positive kind of way. And I think as things have worn on and on and on, that has started to go away, right? So the initial move your workforce remote, take everybody online, uh, do the things that you got to do to keep the business running. People weathered that. It was exhausting, but they weathered it pretty well. It's the lingering uncertainty and the long-term toll that I'm starting to see really affecting clients. And and I think it's going to drive a lot of the trends we see moving forward with regard to what work looks like for all of us. So Leslie, I totally agree with what you're saying because last year was one of the hardest years of my life, personally, professionally, mentally, spiritually. I mean, just the list goes on and on. And I'd love to get your take on this. You talked about the, I guess, the spirit of humanity and coming together at the beginning of the pandemic versus pandemic fatigue and the real depression and mental illness and substance abuse and the impact on children that we've all begin to hear about and experience in a real way. Hopefully we're all headed to a post pandemic world. So clearly we're going to be dealing with this for years to come. So what are you hearing from your clients now? Are you hearing any glimmer of hope? What's the collective consciousness of the executives you work with? So I have, a, I have a good friend who calls where we are today the highway of hope, which I really like as a metaphor. I think, you know, none of us know exactly when this ends and exactly what the ending looks like. And I don't expect there'll be sort of ticker tape parades to mark the ending of this. I think we're just sort of on this gradual move to somewhere different, right? And so that highway of hope metaphor is something that I'm starting to see in my clients. There does seem to be this acknowledgement now that we aren't going back, right? No. There really is no going back to whatever normal was before. We really are going forward and we don't have any choice but to go forward. And so there is hopefulness in that and the ability to forge new ways to work. So I'm seeing a lot of energy in that direction. I'm seeing a lot of excitement from clients who are thinking about the ways that this is going to change. And for a lot of them, they've seen positive impacts. You know, remote work has been challenging in many ways, but it's brought some positives. I know several of my clients here in Knoxville have said specifically, hey, we can recruit people who don't want to move to Knoxville necessarily in ways we weren't able to do before. So there's been an opening up of the talent pool. There's been a reimagining of the way that we work. And for executives, in the right mindset, that reimagining process can be very energizing and very positive. So we are starting to see some of that, but there is also grappling with this lingering uncertainty and what trends are going to emerge from this and where are we going to go? So it's a, a steady balance of hopefulness and energy along with a, we don't really exactly know what the future holds right now. Right. And I, I think that, too, some of this is fear of change, which is a very human reaction. I think all of us have that innate fear of something being very different. It's just this fear of the unknown in many respects. So you're talking about forging you know, new pathways to how organizations approach work. What are some of the emerging trends, Leslie, that you're seeing that you think will continue impacting workforce performance standards, expectations? I mean, and, and both from the employer perspective as well as from the employee perspective. Yeah, well, so the biggest one, obviously, is what does the role of remote work look like going forward? And 
I don't know if you guys have seen the statistics that are out there on this. I, I think they're shocking statistics. A quarter of the workforce working remotely permanently, full-time remote work, a doubling of remote workers over the next five years, some sources are predicting. And some sources say as many as half of us might work remotely at least part of the time, which is like an 18 to 20% increase over pre-pandemic rates. That's a seismic shift in the way that we work. And I know that's a that's a shift that you all have sort of been grappling with at Fletcher, but certainly it's a shift that everybody is sort of going through. And it raises lots of questions about how do we measure productivity and performance? Because one of the things that I think has been revealed in the pandemic is even though we said we didn't, so many of us measured performance based on what we saw employees doing, how much we saw them at their desk. Did they look busy? There was this, whether we wanted to admit it or not, this sort of how much is your rear in your chair that really drove how we measured performance. And I think that's been exposed and it's forced companies to really grapple with what does good performance look like? So that's one trend that's sort of pushed on performance standards. The other one is this idea of balancing productivity and empathy, right? Particularly early on in the pandemic, I had a lot of leaders say to me, I can't hold people accountable. I can't give negative feedback right now. I can't pile on was the phrase that I heard. People are already too stressed. They're already too tired. And so there was almost this sense of hitting the pause button when it came to performance and accountability. And I think as we moved through all of this and sort of came to understand that this was going to be a much longer term issue, most leaders came to understand that they also had to get back to talking about performance. But how they balance that, how you balance being empathetic and recognizing the human side of the people that you work with, while also holding people to standards, pushing for excellence, that balance is tough in normal circumstances but has really been highlighted. And and the leaders that I see are really struggling with that. And I think that trend will continue. We'll continue to see people grappling with that balance going forward. So Leslie, everything that you just said resonates with me so much because we totally changed the culture of our work this past year. I had been thinking about taking the agency virtual for some time. And so we decided to go with a hybrid model which is working really well because, well, first of all, when this all went down, my son, who was graduating from Florida State this weekend, who I talk a, a lot about on this podcast because he was really my why for starting the business, came home. You know, they kicked him all out. They sent him all home last spring. He just said, Mom, you know, like you always said that you wanted to try something different when I went off to college and I'm about to be a senior and you're kind of still sitting here doing things the same old way. And I was like, okay, wow. So, we lost a lot of business. We were really struggling. We had work and industries that were impacted. And so I just decided to sell my house and move to the beach because I figured if I was going to go down in flames, at least I'd be near the water. <laughs> so <laughs> flames, water, yeah. you know, and <laughs> that would go to where my, where I find God really, which is, you know, on the coast and near water. And so we have co-working space and three markets and I let our team decide, our Knoxville team, because that's where we're still primarily headquartered. I, they decide. I've empowered them to decide when they want to go in and collaborate, 
We have daily team huddle meetings every day. We stay in very close touch, and then I'm back in Knoxville seven to ten days per month so we can collaborate in person. But, you know, I think we've done a really good job. Personally, I think that we've grown closer as a team because I preserve their jobs. I mean, I did everything I could possibly do within my own personal power and to my own personal, you know, financial detriment to keep these women employed. I employ all women. That's just by chance. I and mean, we we're getting ready to hire somebody now. I'd love to have a guy if we find one. But these women are they're all the major breadwinners in their families. And I just could not sleep at night thinking about having them suffer. And so you talked a lot about now about the balance between empathy and performance. Well, we just had these conversations recently because we're really, really busy again. And I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. I feel it coming. Like I literally, Mary Beth will tell you, I talked to her about this. I'm like, I can see it. Like I feel it in my bones. And so we all had a heart to heart. And I was like, hey, look, you know, I had your back whenever this was all going down. And I know we're really busy right now and everybody's maxed out on workflow and billable hours, but you got to have my back right now. You know, I promise we'll get through this. We'll get some people hired. We'll figure it out. But I think that there has to be a real authenticity and transparency in everything. And as my team knows the blood, sweat, and tears that we've been through, you know, me personally, and then collectively as a group over the past year. So I'm just wondering, Leslie, how have you coached business owners through the strain of excessive personal stress that goes alongside of being responsible for payroll, knowing that if you can't meet that full payroll, somebody might not be able to pay their mortgage. You know, how do you coach people through that? I think that's one of the the toughest things. It's tough. You know, I've had conversations about this in the past. It's always tough to be the person who's responsible for the team, responsible for the business. That's an inherently stressful position to be in anyway. And you throw the pandemic on top of that and, and certainly difficult market conditions. The, the analogy I use with leaders is, we want to think of you like a rubber band, right? So for you to do your job, there has to be a little bit of tension. You have to be stressed. You have to be growing a little bit bigger than you were before, right? So if you think about a rubber band that's not stretched, it doesn't do anything. It won't hold anything together. It, it doesn't do its job well. So too much relaxation, too much empathy, too much letting off the gas kind of leaves you like that rubber band, sort of loose and floppy, right? We want you stretched a little bit, but we don't want you stretched to your breaking point. So that's what I tell leaders to think about is, where are you? If you were a rubber band, where would you be? Are you not stretched enough that you're able to do your job? Are you not stretching your team enough so that they're not able to do the things that you've asked them to do? Are you letting them sort of become loose in the things that they're doing? Or are you stretching them too far? Are you stretching yourself too far? Okay. I love that analogy. I swear I'm going to get a rubber band (laughs) (laughs) and stick it on my desk and think about that. Because one thing that I've learned through the pandemic, it's been a growing experience. I mean, it has really been a growing experience for me personally, because I've realized that I get to choose. And this is something, Leslie, you actually helped teach me, but it took me a while, I think, to internalize it several years, which is we get to choose how we react mm-hmm. to situations. Yeah. And so one thing that has started to happen in my company and my role as an executive is 
whenever that rubber band's starting to get really, really close to breaking, I literally walk away. Whereas before I would push, 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 push and push mm -hmm. everybody around me. I'm just like, hey, listen, I'm going to go to the beach. I'm going to sit there and I'm just going to listen. I'm going to listen to what I should do next. I'm going to be mindful about how I should handle this versus just being in this frenetic, crazy, you know, mindset all the time. Well, you talk so, about like fight or flight a lot. Yes, and, and, I live and in fight the, or flight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, yeah, and I think that's very, that's really common. And it reminds me a little bit too of well pre-pandemic, you know, Sheryl Sandberg of Facebook, you know, she wrote the Lean In book and that whole philosophy became a thing and uh, particularly aimed at women seeming to hinge on this mandate that, you know, we all just have to embrace that suck it up buttercup type of mentality. And I think that's hits on what we're talking about here in terms of there being this resilience backlash to an extent. I think, you know, it, and there seems to be a backlash. The pandemic has created this breaking point, as you mentioned, as both of you mentioned for a lot of people. And suddenly the call to action has intensified for employers to offer stronger flexibility to provide pathways and resources for emotional wellness help and to offer more really more heart and i guess a listening ear you know to their staff teams as well and you know leslie i'd love to get your take on that that piece of it what are your observations about that part of the shift that you're seeing in terms of employers trying to be more sensitive to that you know, helping employees be able to tap into resources they need to cope with change and all of the stresses. I think this is one of the big success stories of the pandemic. A vast majority of additional benefit dollars that were spent by employers in 2020 were spent in the areas of mental health and wellness. And for somebody who works with leaders on a daily basis and gets to peek behind the curtain at the things that are really going on in their heads, in their hearts, in their lives, that's money well spent for organizations. So that's a change that I applaud. And I think it's one of the trends that will continue to shape sort of the future of work as we emerge from the pandemic and, and travel down this path. You know, one of the pressures that we anticipate employers are going to face immediately post-pandemic is a real shakeup in turnover, right? We fully expect that as much to a quarter to a third of employees will start looking for a new job after this health crisis is behind us. There's a sort of pent up movement in the market. People kind of set still. And as they start to move, the thing they're going to be looking for is often my employer didn't do the pandemic so well. They didn't support us well. I'm looking for somebody who provides more of that. And that's driven by a lot of things. I think there for all of us was this realization of what a big part that plays in how we work and the ways that we're able to work and what we bring to the table they're also, I mean, remote work has humanized us in some ways. It's certainly dehumanized us in other ways, but being able to peek behind the curtain and meet people's children and their dogs and their cats and see the inside of their house and, you know, watch them show up in a sweatshirt to meetings, those sorts of things helped us see the human side of employees, I think, in new ways. And that has really driven for my leaders that I work with. I'm hearing a lot, even if what I would sort of call my hardcore old school leaders saying, I don't know that we can go back the way we were before. We're going to have to do something differently. And when you put that in place with a tight job market where people are going to be 
moving around looking for jobs that do it better. This is one of those trends I think leaders and employers need to be paying attention to. Well, I really hope that this shift from this hardcore resilience mindset is here to stay because I think it's been damaging, particularly to women, that we had to feel like that if we weren't working 12 hours every day and volunteering and participating on boards and raising perfect children, that we weren't good enough. And quite frankly, through the pandemic, I've felt a lot of relief. And one of one of the points of relief I felt is that I haven't had to travel as much. And that's had a direct impact on my health because I haven't gotten sick because I'm not on planes all the time or I'm not running around New York City and staying in a bunch of different hotels. And so I really hope that this will change the hearts and minds of executives and how they treat their teams and and what they expect from their teams. So, well, that's just me on my high horse. So listen, okay, let me get back to this, <laughs> the, the topic at hand here. Okay. I'm preaching. So I know we're only in second quarter of 2021 at this point, Leslie, but it, it's never too early for management teams to start considering their plan to get a plan for 2022. Really, actually, I think doing strategic planning in Q4 is kind of really late. But many teams, particularly those on a calendar fiscal year, do their strategic planning in Q4. And one thing I've learned over the years is that for a strategic planning session to be truly productive, there's a lot of pre-planning that has to be invested on the front end. And this is with the kind of strategic planning that you lead teams, but also it's the, the strategic planning that we lead our clients through when it comes to what their marketing and public relations goals are. So when are you a part of a client strategic planning session? When you are, what steps do you advise them on, on the front end? For example, if a company intends to have a big strategic planning retreat in the fall, what do they need to do to ramp up? You know, what are they need to do starting maybe as early as in the summer to get prepared to have a successful strategic planning a retreat? Yeah, I think, and I think particularly this year, we have a unique opportunity to do this in a, in a real way because I think for most of us, there's a sense that things will start to open up and move to whatever the next phase of this is going to look like in that summer time frame. But this is a time to really take an honest appraisal of where you are as a business. And I like to think about what's broken, what's being held together with chewing gum and prayer, right? And we all <laughs> we all run businesses here. There's a fair amount of, of stuff that gets held together with chewing gum and prayer. And then what's really working well? And I think sometimes that gets missed in the pandemic. So I think really focusing on what was positive out of this. What do we think went well? But the other thing I think that's really important this year, maybe in a way that it hasn't been in the past, is to solicit broader perspectives, really looking at your team and asking them, what are you seeing here? What are you noticing that's not working well? Kelly, you one of the things you mentioned was, I listen to my team. And when they say they want to collaborate, we let them collaborate. That is really going to be important moving out of this because the impacts of this place where we've been, the events that we've been through have impacted people in such different ways, right? For people who were at home trying to juggle work and small children and virtual schooling, the impacts have been one thing. For people who were at home and didn't have to travel, things were different and perhaps they had more free time. For people who were alone all the time, they felt isolated and they all have different points of view of the way that it's impacted their work as well, right? 
So I think like never before, strategic planning needs to start with your people's perspective of what's going well in this business. What do we need to change and how do we need to change it? So if I were in leadership, I'd be reaching out to all levels of the organization and asking them for their perspective on where are we? Before we can decide where we're going to go next, we have to know where we are today. So that's the pre-work that I would say companies need to start with. And as we move back or forward to whatever the next step on this journey is going to be, I think that's a unique opportunity to do that. Yeah. Well, I'm going to do just that. Yes. You just uh, putting it on my to-do list. Um, I'm going to have somebody interview my employees externally and really get the scoop so I can... (laughs) get the truth from from the outside looking in. Well, you always have been so collaborative, Kelly. I mean, with your team and, you know, it, it involving everybody. It's a big deal. Well, thank you, Mary Beth. The other thing I would say, particularly now, and this gets directly into what you all do for a profession, is employers really need to think about their brand as employers. In this tight job market, as we start to see voluntary turnover tick up, as people are really thinking about what do they want out of work? What does work, not only what does work mean on a broad perspective in the general sort of sense of the world, but what does work mean to me as a person? As people start to weigh that and balance that, there's going to be a real push on employers to present their employment brand differently, right? And that's what you all do. But it really starts with how are companies treating their people? And They need to start thinking about that today in new and different ways. That's one of the things that we really see emerging and sort of carrying forward maybe for the next five or 10 years. That's a really good point. The brand of your company and how that is put forth to give you a competitive advantage. And we all know too, right, there's going to be a shortage of workers in certain industries and there's going to be a lot of competition to get the best and the brightest. Yeah. And if you're a company that weathered this storm well, whose employees have been appreciative of the things that you've done, man, you need to capture those wins. You need to capture those wins and and think about them when you're recruiting talent, when you're thinking about retaining the talent that you have. Those things that went well are really fertile ground for how you build the culture moving forward and how you build that employment brand moving forward. Those are all great points, Leslie. I totally agree with that. And kind of shifting to the Fletcher marketing PR stance on a lot of this regarding how to leverage wins and leverage what what has been done well. Kelly, I just want to ask you, what are you advising clients about how they can shift away from a reactive mode, which the pandemic has absolutely thrust upon all of us? I mean, we were all in sort of this reactive mode in large part this past year and revert back instead to a proactive mode where you're more in control of the situation or you feel more control and you can have that sense of empowerment through the whole team. I'd love to get your your take on that because I think that over the years, you've always been so good about trying to leverage a proactive stance for clients. And so now you know, we're gonna have to really revisit that type of approach with clients and, and getting them to re-engage in that kind of posture instead of reactive. Well, we have a plan for that. Actually, next week, we have set aside a day where we're going to do a client review on each and every one of our clients, and we will collaboratively sit down and talk about what's going on with each and every client and how we can help advise them, look for new opportunities, new ideas. Are we really bringing to the table our full and fully present best 
work and selves. One of the things that we talk about in our organization a lot is that we are not order takers. So we don't just sit on the phone and wait for you to call and say you want to do something. It's our job to bring ideas to you and to evaluate what you're doing. But there, there is one thing that I've noticed, and I think the pandemic has really brought it to light, um, shed light on it, shed huge spotlights on it. And that is there are some companies and organizations that the culture is never going to change and they will always be in reactive mode. And they have no interest in actually going into a proactive mode. And then there are those who are just kind of in the middle and they're like, wow, you know, there is a way to do this. We could have a plan. You know, we could set real measurable goals that are, whether it comes to internal communications and internal employee satisfaction or whether it just comes to their external marketing and PR strategy. And so we're, I'm starting to see those that are kind of in the middle. And then we all, we've always had the ones who were like, yes, like we got to have a plan. It's got to be measurable. And it's, and it's just like clockwork. So I see a spectrum there and it's our job as an agency to always be in the forefront and say, have you thought about this? I think this is a really good idea. Have you thought about this campaign? Have you done this? Should we consider this? And to continually bring those ideas is where the real value of having an agency is. And I'd say this is my little plug. It says if your agency isn't doing that, then you just have a bunch of order takers who are executing tactics without a vision or strategy. And that's a big part of where creativity, I think, comes into play is being in the moment and being aware of opportunities that are materializing right out in the marketplace and being able to identify those in real time and bringing, you know, delivering those to a client. So, um, and I'm sure that's the, the truth across the board, regardless of what industry you're in. It is, and it's a lot of work. I mean, it, it yeah. is a lot of work. and You don't necessarily get paid for sitting there. And sometimes I think, since I'm thinking about this in the shower and driving down the road, should I be able to bill for it? <laughs> But Leslie, what's your feedback on what I just said? You know, as we close out our chat here, what are your thoughts on helping clients re-embrace a proactive mindset and get out of this reactive fight or flight state caused by the massive pace of difficult changes that this whole pandemic has sparked? So I think there are several things that I always try to tell clients to do. And, and the biggest one, if you're talking about the balance between being proactive or reactive is really get yourself in a habit of shifting your perspective as a leader as often as you can, right? Mary Beth said, let's see what opportunities are out there in the marketplace. This is the way that you do this as a leader is you start to shift perspective, make it a habit as a leader to ask yourself, what else is here? What am I missing? What are the opportunities that are available to us? Where can we make moves that are positive? That's really an important sort of psychological growth tool is to ask yourself on a recurring basis, what else am I missing? What else is there? And I think, you know, one of the ways to do that is to have conversations like these. I talked to a group of HR leaders yesterday and we talked about what are the trends, what's coming down the road, thinking about where we're going as opposed to where we've been and really getting comfortable with this post-pandemic world is not going to be a time for us to sort of sit back and enjoy a time of peace. What I see on the horizon is more and more change coming in the world of work. This has been an accelerant 
to some changes that were already out there. And we're going to see that change continue. So for leaders who are already sort of tapped out and tired and at the end of their reserves, this is a time we talked about resilience earlier, but this is a time to double down on your own personal resilience, on your team's resilience and on your organizational resilience. So if you're not sort of thinking about that proactively, if you're not working towards building resilience into your organization, I think you're going to be sort of behind the eight ball as this change continues going forward. So I'm talking to all my leaders about how do you continue this? How do you prepare yourself to meet the challenges that are going to continue to come and to get out ahead of them? So I think you're spot on. You just spend some time thinking about what else is out there, looking for opportunities as opposed to just seeing challenge. That's so crucial to how we build our own sense of well-being and tap into our own creativity, whether we're marketing professionals, PR professionals, or, or leaders of teams. That creative spirit and sense of energy is really crucial to what we do. Well, on that note, it reminds me that life truly does begin at the end of your comfort zone. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> very, very well stated. Yeah. I Well, I have a canvas in my office above the door that says it, so I look at it every day. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good reminder. <laughs> we so appreciate you being on Misinterpreted, Leslie. I've, I always get so much from you, whether it's just a phone chat, a quick email, or having a glass of wine, and I look forward to getting together with you in person soon. And thanks so much for sharing your expertise with us today. Well, thank you all for having me. Always a pleasure. Well, and to our listeners, you can connect with Leslie on her website at profusionstrategies.com if you're interested in coaching with her or checking out what services she offers. She is also on LinkedIn under Leslie Bill of Profusion Strategies. And thanks so much to our listeners for supporting the Misinterpreted PR podcast produced by Kelly's public relations firm, Fletcher Marketing PR. Please follow us on Twitter handle Fletcher PR. You can also follow Kelly at Twitter handle KD Fletcher, and you can follow me at Mary Beth West. Thanks, everyone. Until next time. Thanks for joining us on Misinterpreted Public Relations Demystified. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at FletcherMarketingPR.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time.